Hey, welcome to the 149th episode of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm one of the pastors of Calvary Church in Central PA. And I got a little bit of a cold today. For those of you who've been around me for a while on these podcasts, I might sound a little bit different, but I've also been a pastor for 32 plus years. And as a result, my soul has been saturated by Scripture. And this podcast is hopefully just a a way to give a little bit of that back to you, because life is not found in stuff. There has to be more than bread. And and I find myself often, not not always, man, I'm so far from always, but but I find myself often being hungry for God's Word. And and God's Word brings life. God brings life. You know, I I live in a cabin overlooking Happy Valley, State College, Pennsylvania, where where I live is an amazing reminder of the creative work of God. The view from my cabin and my office, honestly, it's got to be one of the most inspiring and sometimes distracting views in all of Central PA. And in the fall, my goodness, God paints these wondrous portraits on the hillside. It's so good. But as good as his creative work is in the colors of the leaves of the trees in the fall, as good as his creative work is in shaping mountains and placing stars in the sky, there's another part of creation that he considers even greater, and it's you, me, us, even us together. And I know we wonder sometimes what God was thinking when he created so-and-so. Now, I was a freshman in college when I first started dating Lynn, my wife. We started dating just before the end of my freshman year. And all of a sudden, she was all the way out in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. I was in Minnesota, 1,200 miles away she was. So during the summer, I decided that I needed to drive out and see her. Two-hour phone conversations just weren't quite enough. There was no FaceTime back then, <laughs> no texting I had to pay. There, there was no unlimited phone calls. I had to pay for every minute of those two hours, and and it just wasn't quite getting the, the, the job done. So I took my first visit to Pennsylvania, and it also ended up being my first visit to the outlet malls in Reading, where I discovered cheap jeans. <laughs> but not, not just cheap jeans, even cheaper than cheap jeans. I was introduced to jeans that were even cheaper than cheap outlet jeans. I remember the very first time I found the as-is room. You know what I'm talking about? The as-is room, sometimes referred to as a slightly irregular room, which for those of you over 60 has absolutely nothing to do with bathrooms. The as-is room was the place where slightly irregular jeans went to be sold as cheap, cheap jeans. And as long as you understood that the jeans in this room were less than perfect, They were damaged goods. They were not normal. That's why they came as is. The store was issuing you a a general warning that nothing in this room is guaranteed to be flaw-free. There might be a stain that won't come out or a zipper that won't zip or a button that won't click or a stitch that zigs when it should have zagged. They, They never told you where or what the flaw was. You had to look for it. They were just letting you know that sooner or later, if you look, you will find this garment is not flaw-free. It comes as is. No returns, no refunds. Now take a moment and look around. Go ahead. Are you around people? Look at them. And if you're not near people, just think of the ones you know. And hear this with the utmost of grace and kindness. If you and you and the people you see or thought of were in a room together in the outlet mall in Reading, when you walked in, you would have seen a big sign across the door labeling this the as-is room of life. Every person you know including you, every person you see, including you. (laughs) We we all come with the warning, slightly irregular. 
There's not a single person who comes flaw-free. I can't tell you what it is or where you'll find it, but we all know it's there, don't we? I mean, that's why too many family dinners end in silence and too many marriages end in divorce. It's the reason why so many expectations fall unmet. Friends don't talk to each other for years and you find it so difficult to like your coworker. It's the reason why a lot of churches fail, especially the last few years, because we're all slightly irregular. And yet we were still created as the best, the very best of his creation. We were created, the only part of creation of which it is said, we were created in the image of God. And as part of the image of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we we long to connect with others, don't we? But in this world filled with irregular people, we still long for community and connection. God has created us to be together. You go to the book of Genesis, the story of creation, and you find God's creation routine. On the first day, he created something. He looked and saw it was good. On the second day, he created something. And and at the end of the day, he looked at it and he saw that it was good. Third day, creation, look good. Fourth day, creation, look good. Fifth day, creation, look good. Sixth day, creation. And for the very first time, he looked and uttered the words, it is not good. He created man. He looked and the Lord God said, it is not good for this guy to be alone. I'll make a companion who will help him. It's not good to be alone. And I just, I want you to think about that. I know we took a little bit longer before we get to the scripture in this episode, but I just, I want you to think about that as you listen to Psalm 133, another short Psalm of Ascent, a Psalm sung on pilgrimage to the sacred space of the presence of God. And I'm reading from the New International Version. The writer writes these words. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, there in that place, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. See, when we live together in unity, God bestows, literally in the Hebrew, it says that God commands his blessing to be there. You know, one of the most significant studies on community long-term was called the Alameda County Study. A Harvard social scientist and his team followed the lives of 7,000 people for, I believe, over a decade. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die over that time than those with strong relational connections. In fact, people who had bad health habits, like smoking or lack of exercise or poor eating habits, but strong social ties live significantly longer than disconnected, isolated people with great health habits. In other words, eating Krispy Kreme donuts with friends, that's way better than eating broccoli all alone, because it's not good to be alone. There's a blessing from being together. You don't have to be married. You can be single and be together in community. There's a blessing from being together. Another study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association took 276 volunteers and infected them with a virus that produces the common cold. They found that people with stronger emotional connections, a deeper connection to the community, did four times better fighting off illness than those who were isolated. Those who were connected were less susceptible to colds, and they produced significantly less mucus... (laughs) than relationally disconnected people. You heard that right. 
It's a scientific fact that unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. It's not good to be alone. There's a blessing in being together. Last year, the Surgeon General of the United States said that the greatest epidemic we're facing right now is an epidemic of loneliness. John Cassiopo, Director for Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago, is considered to be one of the world's leading experts on loneliness. And in his landmark book on loneliness, he describes how profoundly the epidemic of loneliness is affecting the basic functions of human physiology. He writes, when we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed their white cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deep recesses of the cell to alter, actually alter the way genes were being expressed. In other words, when you're lonely, your whole body is lonely. See, we've been designed with a connection condition. You and I were created for community. John Orberg takes it even further. He calls it the goal of the universe. He writes, in a single word, what God is up to, what his goal is in creating the universe and the persons who inhabit it, that word is community. It's far deeper than just building a successful network of emotional support. It's not simply loneliness avoidance. It's actually, he says, it's actually the reason why we exist. If you aren't connected... If you aren't living in common unity, community, you're missing out on the whole eternal goal of the universe, the purpose of all life. Isn't this why Jesus says in John 13, 35, this is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. See, I believe with all my heart, I believe that the dream on God's heart is to unleash upon the world people who love more and love deeper and love longer than anyone else in the world. His dream is to unleash upon the world people whose great aim is to love God, love each other, and love their neighbors. People who are more courageous, more generous, more selfless than the world has ever seen. Listen to how he puts it in his great prayer, Jesus' prayer in John 17. This is the prayer he prayed before he went to the cross, before the changing of the world. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. That's us. In that moment, Jesus was praying for you and me, praying for all those who would ever believe in him because of their testimony. And he says this, he he prayed for us. He looked down through the centuries and he prayed for you and I. And he said, my prayer, God, my prayer for all of them is that they'll be one. Just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are, I and them and you and me, all being perfected into one. And then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says to God, That they'll understand that you love them. God, you love them as much as you love me. Jesus, knowing that the end is near, prays one final time. One final time, he lifts his dreams upward as a prayer. And notice what his dream is. He didn't pray for our success. He didn't pray for lives of ease or safety. He didn't even pray for our happiness. The dream in the heart of Jesus in that moment was for unity, true community. He prayed that we would be one that we would love each other so that we could change the world. Why? Because we experience God best together. And that's the essence of Psalm 133. 
One of the most beautiful descriptions of experiencing God together. Psalm 133, behold, how good and pleasant it is when God's people, brothers and sisters, dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And that may not sound like something that's good, but but that's like this royal outpouring and anointing of health and goodness and graciousness, like, like the goodness is just running down all over him. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there, there, in that place, the Lord commands his blessing of life. There's a lot in this psalm. I mean, the imagery has meaning, but I'm just going to land on family for the last few seconds, right? You understand it's all about family, brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. I have 3,400 friends on Facebook. Lynn has about a third of that, which is really weird because she's a way better friend than I am. <laughs> Jake and Josh have no friends. They're not on Facebook. Sarah and Katie have a few over a thousand, but that's okay because only old people are on Facebook or or so I've been told. However many it is, we've got more friends than we know what to do with. But you know what's better than friends on Facebook? Family. And that's church. It's family. God through Christ gives family, and God's the father of our church family, and Jesus is the big brother in our church family, and we're all brothers and sisters in that same church family. And and some of you might be thinking, I don't know, it's kind of hard to get connected at church. I don't feel that close to people. In fact, there's some people here who've offended me, made my life difficult. One, one of them called me a liar, and there's another one who always expects me to clean po- clean up her mess. I've been called a coward more times in the last three years than I did in the first 30 years of my life. We, We just don't get along. Listen, welcome to family. (laughs) that's what family is. It's a huge, painful, frustrating mess, almost by definition, right? Sometimes family is awkward and family's hard and family's complicated and annoying. But you love the family and you serve the family. You don't give up on family. You don't quit. You can't unfamily someone. Family's forever. At least this one is. If you're a Jesus follower, we're family forever. I remember years ago, my daughter Sarah worked at a Target in Pittsburgh. And and one year during the high holy season of retail Christmas, more people were shopping than you would ever care to guess. And some of them... I don't know. I think she was wishing that some of them would just go shop at Walmart because some customers just aren't very nice. Target was running an ad and the ad included a sale on Xbox. And unfortunately, the first day of their sale, the supply truck showed up with zero Xboxes. And one lady came specifically to get her on sale Xbox. And when her rightful owed to her Xbox wasn't there, she just threw a fit. And And Sarah was in charge, and so she kind of got the brunt of it. She heard all the different ways in which Target wasn't meeting this woman's needs. And some of the descriptions of Target's shortcomings were even laced with colorful depictions of certain body parts. (laughs) And there's absolutely nothing Sarah could do. The lady's need was beyond her ability to meet, and an apology was simply not sufficient. About 30 minutes after the lady left, Sarah took a phone call from the lady's daughter who wanted to re-explain the relationship of those body parts to Target. And you see, we feel like we have the right to complain because when a business, in this consumer, you know, customer-oriented kind of society, when a business doesn't live up to the customer's expectations, we, we have the right to complain, right? But listen, the church is not a Target store, it's family, 
You go to the waffle shop or whatever restaurant you go to in your town and you sit down and somebody takes care of everything. And if everything is not just the way you want it, you can complain. You can leave a comment card. I'll tell you what, if one of my kids ever leave a comment card after dinner and it says anything other than, thank you, mom, you're the best. I love you. What can I do to serve you? I'm going to attach a comment card right to their behind because that's not what you do in family. In a family, it's not about you getting served. It's not about somebody pouring into you. It's about you pouring out. It's about serving. It's about giving to serve the family. The church is not Target. It's not the waffle shop. It's family. In family, you feel responsible to help, to serve, to care. In family, when you see a need, you meet it. I know it's a mess sometimes. I do. I know. It's a big, crazy family, but it's my family. For seven years, all-star Detroit Piston Center Ben Wallace and his wife, Chanda, tried to persuade Ben's mother, Sadie, to move into a bigger and better home near Whitehall, Alabama. And for seven years, her answer was no. She didn't want to leave her home in her neighborhood. Two days before she died, Sadie gave in, sort of. She told Ben he could build her a new house, but only if he tore down the old house and built the new one in its place. Ben Wallace said before his first all-star appearance, a brief smile crossed his face. And, and he said these words. She said, he said, she was scared people wouldn't be able to find her when they came looking for her. When Sadie died in Selma, Alabama, a packed Shiloh Baptist Church said an emotional goodbye to Mama Sadie, who was described as a woman who always left her door open for friends and family and who stood as a symbol of strength for her children through good times and hard. See, Sadie understood that a home is different from a house, and a church is not just a place you meet, it's family, and her connections were more important than moving up. And it's a beautiful thing when family lives in unity. And sometimes it seems like it's such a struggle, but I will say with great faith, rooted in God's truth, that community is worth the struggle. It's worth taking the initiative. It's worth trying and failing. It's worth being offended and needing to practice forgiveness. It's worth all the humility you can muster in your heart, because if we miss it, we miss the blessing of life. At Calvary, we talk quite a bit about being a church without walls, and the CWOW, Church Without Walls, dream is this. It's a dream of a community of people living a life so extraordinary that where we live, work, and study it's like a light shining in the darkness. It's a dream of a community of people who bring wholeness to the broken and comfort to the grieving and help to those in need. The dream of a community of people with open hearts who extend open hands to the forgotten, disillusioned, and the disheartened. A people who are first to cross the barriers which divide us. It's a dream of a community that regularly experiences a sense of awe because of the presence of God and his unbounded blessings flowing through us for others. Let me read one more time. Psalm 133, this time from Eugene Peterson's The Message. How wonderful, how beautiful, when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, flowing down the slopes of Zion. yes. That's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. Let me pray. Father, I know there's got to be people listening to me right now who have some family relationships that are strained, church family, personal family, 
God, I, I pray for a redemption. I pray for a restoration. I, I pray for a wholeness and a healing in those relationships. God, would you pour your spirit out? God, I, I pray that we would, we would live humble lives. I, I pray that we would consider others as being better than ourselves. I pray that we would take the initiative, even in those times when, when we feel hurt or offended, that we would take the initiative to serve others. There's so much joy that you have promised to those who serve others. God, I'm, I'm thankful that, Jesus, that your call to, you know, if we want to find life, we got to sacrifice our life, that, that that's not different from the fact that you've come to give us joy, that those two things go together, that when we give up life in our families, when we sacrifice ourselves for others, that you fill us with joy. God, I, I pray that we would be like rivers of living water, that, that as we believe in Jesus, rivers of living water would flow out of us and, and would bring healing and restoration and joy and peace to the communities, to the families in which we live, especially our church. God, would you pour your spirit out? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.